Amen. As you're being seated, I want to say welcome. Glad you're here joining us for worship this morning, whether you're here at Screen 1 or uh, Screen 2 as well. Glad you can be here to join us. Uh, my name is Chase. I'm the discipleship pastor here uh, at Ignite, and we're going to open God's Word in a few moments to Matthew chapter 13. Before we do that, I want to remind you that we have our annual meeting uh, this afternoon, 4 p.m., right here in uh, Screen 1 of the Safari. We also call that Ignite Church now because uh, we own the place. Praise God. Uh, but we'll be here um, 4 o'clock. I want to invite you um, to come and learn what God did throughout 2020 in our church, where we're going as a church in 2021. It's also an opportunity for you to become a member or renew your membership with us at Ignite. So 4 p.m. here in Screen 1 uh, this afternoon. We'd love to have you join us for our annual meeting. If you're new here or joining us maybe for the first time this year, uh, welcome. want to catch you up to speed. We're working through the Gospel of Matthew, the first book in your uh, New Testament. Uh, we are taking a few years to work through the Gospel verse by verse, section by section. And so I want to invite you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 13, beginning in verse 31. We're studying chapters 13 and 14 this spring. And we're near the midpoint of the book. There are 28 chapters in the book. The end of this spring, we should be done with chapter 14, God willing. And um, in these chapters, chapters 13 and 14, Matthew is showing us, bringing into clearer focus, the identity and mission of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. We are understanding in chapters 13 and 14, uh, at a deeper level, a more comprehensive level, level, who Jesus is, and why he came to earth. And between chapters 12 and 13, we witness a major shift in Jesus' teaching style. Beginning in chapter 13 of Matthew, Jesus begins speaking extensively in parables. In Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the three synoptic gospels, there are some 40 parables unique that Jesus uses to teach, and very simply, parables are a simple word picture with a profound spiritual meaning. And we have to ask, why did Jesus choose to teach in parables? Well, it's not, as many might think, to necessarily make truth clearer. In fact, if you've read some of Jesus' parables, um, some of them are quite perplexing. Some of them are quite confusing. No, there are two main reasons Jesus spoke in parables. Jesus used parables to reveal truth and also conceal truth. Parables reveal truths of the gospel. They reveal truths of the kingdom, not to everyone, but to who? To the humble, to those that are willing to learn from Jesus. And the very same parables that reveal truth to some, they actually work to conceal truth from others. They reveal and they conceal. Who do they conceal truth from? Conceal truth from the proud, from those that are, as Scripture says, wise in their own eyes, those that are too good to learn from Jesus. In this way, the parables, they were a gift to his disciples. The parables, for those of us who believe in the person and work of Jesus, they're a gift for us. They reveal precious truths of the kingdom. But at the same time, parables are a kind of judgment for the proud and the wise. 
want you to picture this with me because the Pharisees in Jesus' day, the religious leaders of Jesus' day, the pastors and teachers of Judaism, they longed to understand and hear the word of God. Day after day, they studied the word of God. And Jesus, the word became flesh, literally the ultimate revelation of God, the word of God, stands before the Pharisees, reveals precious truths of the kingdom to the Pharisees, and they're blind. The truth is concealed from them. How devastating a place to be. Parables reveal and conceal. And in our text today, Jesus tells two parables. And I think these parables are incredibly timely. God's word is always timely. I think these parables are incredibly timely given the condition of our world, the state of our country, the news cycle. Every, everything's going on in the world. It's been incredibly enriching for my soul this week looking at these two parables of our Lord. Because if we're honest, how many of us, it's, it's easy to look out into the world and feel like we're fighting a losing battle. It's easy to look out into the world and question the validity of our faith and God's faithfulness. I want to tell you this. If you feel this way, if you've thought these thoughts, you're not alone. In fact, Jesus knew that his disciples, Jesus knew that his followers, even today, would raise questions concerning these things. Jesus' followers, his disciples, they did doubt. They had a hard time reconciling the great promises of God's kingdom with the terrible conditions in which they found themselves. And so it's against this backdrop that Jesus told the two parables we're going to look at today, the parables of the mustard seed and the leaven. And Jesus gives these two parables to show us how God's kingdom works in the world. Would you read with me Matthew 13, verses 31 through 35? Here's what Jesus says. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It's the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air can come and make nests in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. Verse 34, all these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. These two parables teach us a profound lesson. And here's the central idea, the theme that we're going to unpack together today. It is this. The work of the gospel is not always evident, but always effective. The work of the gospel is not always evident. We can't always see it. But it's always effective. God's always at work. And Jesus gives these two parables to describe how the kingdom, how the message of the gospel works in the world. In the parable of the mustard seed, Jesus teaches that the kingdom works from small to great. And the leaven shows us that the kingdom works from the inside out. That's what we're going to look at today. Look back with me at verse 31 parable of the mustard seed, he put another parable before them saying the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. 
The kingdom of heaven, also known as the kingdom of God in scriptures, a massive biblical theme spanning from Old Testament well into the New Testament. It goes by different names. Kingdom of God, the Apostle Paul would call it the kingdom of Christ and God. Matthew alone uses the term kingdom of heaven. You'll see it all throughout the Gospel of Matthew, the kingdom of heaven. And it's vital that we understand what the kingdom of heaven is. We're only going to see it occur more and more as we continue going further in Matthew's Gospel. So I want to give you a brief definition of the kingdom of heaven. What is this of which Jesus spoke? There's a definition behind me on the screen. I love how one scholar defines it. He says, God's kingdom is the king's power over the king's people in the king's place. It's the king's power over the king's people in the king's place. Look at these three parts. The king's power. This speaks of how God rules. He rules with all authority as God. It's the king's power over the king's people. This speaks of whom God rules. And God rules over all people in general, but he rules over believers especially. Those who say, Jesus is my Savior and my Lord. He is the king of my life. It's the king's power over the king's people. Where? In the king's place. That would be the whole earth. In the Psalms, God says, the earth is my footstool. I love how one pastor, theologian, says it. He says, there is not a square inch in the whole domain of human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not look and say, mine. That's the kingdom of God. It is the king's power over the king's people in the king's place. And so when Jesus announces the kingdom of heaven, he's announcing a massive proclamation. It's God's rule over the king's people in the king's place. And so Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like what? It's like a grain of mustard seed. Here's the irony. No Jew would have described God's kingdom as small. You ever seen a mustard seed? Small. This is exactly what Jesus did. He said the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. The smallest of seeds planted in first century Palestine. It's like a mustard seed. In fact, Jewish teachers, rabbis, would use the phrase mustard seed as a metaphor for anything small or anything of little significance. Jesus says, my kingdom is like a mustard seed. What's the point? Catch this. The work of the kingdom begins small. The work of the kingdom begins small. And I want you to consider the context for a moment with me of Jesus' ministry. For Jesus' disciples, those to whom the truth was revealed and clear, they would have looked around and they wouldn't have had a hard time believing Jesus when he said, my kingdom, it's starting small. Consider this with me. When Jesus announced the kingdom of heaven, he did it in the 
rule and in the context of the Roman Empire. You have two kingdoms. You have the Roman Empire and you have the kingdom of God. Rome was established in power. The centurions were war-crazed. They would take any territory, any nation they wanted. It was the mighty Roman Empire. They built themselves up in power, but then you have the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God began humbly. The beginning of the kingdom of God under Jesus' lordship began in Bethlehem, began in a manger, began small. The kingdom of God also began 12 disciples, 12 disciples. Jesus had 12 followers. You need to know that these were ordinary men of virtually no status. Twelve ordinary men. These are the people you would not pick for the varsity basketball squad. Like, these were nobodies. And on this team of twelve ordinary men, you have tax collectors who were considered Jewish traitors because they stopped working for the temple. They started working for Rome and exacted 30, 40, 50% tax on people of their own race and ethnicity, hated. And there were fishermen, there were zealots. Twelve ordinary men began small. Consider this also, 100 miles. Do you know that Jesus didn't travel more than 100 miles in his earthly ministry? Jesus' ministry took place on the modern-day Arabian Peninsula. In that day, it was... Galilee of the north, Samaria in the middle, and then the region of Judea where Jerusalem and the temple was. Not more than 100 miles. Meanwhile, you have the Roman Empire. Fascinating. The Roman Empire in miles spanned about the distance, the space of the continental United States. So you have Jesus traveling 100 miles saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Meanwhile, you have the Roman Empire dominating the known world. You see why his disciples wouldn't have had a hard time saying, yeah, Jesus, we, we can see why you're likening the kingdom of God to a mustard seed. There's not much happening here. In fact, people are against us. The work of the kingdom does start small, but you need to catch this. It does not stay small. Jesus goes on to say in verse 32, it's the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown... It is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nest in its branches. The mustard tree in Palestine, beginning as this little seed, would grow anywhere from 8 feet to 12 feet tall. But it wasn't necessarily its height that was so amazing. It was its breadth. Thick branches that spread out far and wide complex system of branches so strong that the birds of the air could nest in its branches and raise their little bird families. Shouldn't have said that, that's very odd. (laughs) 
Jesus envisions the kingdom of God growing, not staying small, growing and providing shelter for the birds of the air. This isn't a haphazard illustration. It's likely that Jesus had in mind the book of Ezekiel, chapter 17, verse 23. This was a prophecy for God's people written some 600 years before the event of Jesus. And Ezekiel 17 says that one day God's kingdom will grow like a strong tree so that the birds of the air can come and find rest in its branches. This is an analogy for the Gentiles, the kingdoms of the world, the peoples of the world, the non-Jews coming in and being part of the kingdom of God. Jesus is telling his disciples, look, the kingdom is beginning small right now. Yes, but one day it will grow and it won't just be for the Jews. It will indeed be for all kinds of people. Kingdom of God starts small. It works from small to, to great. And looking back, having the perspective of some 2,000 years between these words being spoken and today, we can ask the question, has the kingdom of God really become great? In other words, was, was Jesus speaking the truth when he said the kingdom of God would grow and become the largest of all garden plants? We can say yes. Most certainly Jesus was speaking the truth. In fact, the gospel today is advancing at an unprecedented rate in human history. We have men who are in third world countries and remote villages where it is illegal to preach the gospel, who are hearing the gospel, leaving their families to be trained in underground seminaries for some three or four years, and they devote their entire lives because of hearing the gospel to preaching the gospel, but they don't have an entire Bible, just so you know. The, these men have fragments of chapters of the Bible, and entire villages are saved by the power of the gospel. We have sermons preached in California that are being translated to languages in which the Bible and God's word has never been translated before, shipped overseas to Vietnam in these little red boxes with 100 sermons loaded onto them and entire Vietnamese villages are hearing the Bible preached in their language for the first time. Or we have a relatively small church in Moorhead, Minnesota, Ignite Church, that by the grace of God in 2018 planted another church in Uman, Ukraine called Reconciliation Church. Meanwhile, they're discipling people in the Christian faith. They're baptizing new believers. The gospel is taking root in a war-torn country. These are just a few of the examples. Let God be true as though every man were a liar. The kingdom of God is advancing. The gospel is is taking root. It started small, but it didn't stay small. And it will continue to do so.
The kingdom works from small to great, but the kingdom also works, verse 33, from the inside out. Read with me the parable of the leaven. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. This verse here, it's actually the shortest recorded parable in the Bible. If you notice on the screen or in your Bibles, it doesn't even take up an entire verse. If the parable of the mustard seed speaks of extensive growth, that is, something small becoming large, then the parable of the leaven tells of intensive growth, that is, working from the inside and permeating so that it comes out. This is the parable of the leaven. Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is not just like a mustard seed, it's like, it's like leaven. Another word for leaven is yeast. Any, any bakers in the room, you know you just need a, a little bit of yeast. And what does it do? It permeates the flour, it permeates the dough, so that it rises and produces growth. And again, I want to remind you that parables are incredibly simple word pictures, familiar word pictures that speak of ingenious spiritual truths. And bread was a staple. Leaven was a staple. It was in every home in first century Palestine. Jesus' audience would have been very familiar with the idea of how leaven works. And so Jesus in the next part of verse 33 says, kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took, and what did she do? She hid it. She took it and she hid it in three measures of flour. This would have been a small amount of leaven. You really need a tablespoon or so of yeast to permeate an entire loaf of bread. Three measures of flour is 50 pounds of flour. So she would have taken a cup or two um, to permeate this flour. She took it and she hid it. Until when? Until it was all leavened. The word till, it's a word of time. Until. She took it, she hid it, until. It was all leavened. Leaven takes time to do its work. It takes time to permeate the lump and cause growth. She took it, she hid it, and she waited. Let me say this. Be patient. The gospel takes time to do its work. That's what Jesus is saying here. He's telling his disciples, be patient. My kingdom takes time to do its work. This woman took the flower. She hid it out of sight, trusting that it would do its work. kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. What's the point? The point is this. The kingdom of heaven works from the inside out. Just as leaven permeates the flour to produce growth, so the work of the gospel begins in the heart to produce a transformed life. kingdom of heaven is like 
A mustard seed works from small to great. It's like leaven. Works from the inside out. I shared earlier that the work of the gospel is not always evident, but is always effective. It's not always evident. It's like a mustard seed, out of sight, out of mind. It, it's like leaven. It's hidden. It does its work in secret in the inner parts of man. Not always evident, but it's always effective. The seed will grow and become a tree. The leaven will work and permeate the lump. You know, when I counsel young men who are wrestling with the faith, Maybe have a, a family member, a classmate, a friend who grew up in the church but starting to question it. They have really good arguments for why we should not believe Christianity is true. What I tell them is this, let the word do its work. Let the word do its work. Isaiah chapter 54 says God's word will accomplish every purpose for which he sends it. Not a word will return empty. Let the word do its work. Let the kingdom of God do its work. It's not always evident, but it's always effective. By way of conclusion, I want to give you three implications of the parables of the mustard seed and the leaven. Three implications of the parables of the mustard seed and the leaven. What can we learn from this? First implication is this. The kingdom of heaven is not like any other worldly kingdom. I want you to think about this. Think about history for a moment. The kingdoms of history... They all start great. That's how they rise to world prominence. It's because they start in power. But they all end in humiliation, don't they? The kingdom of God doesn't work like that. The kingdom of God starts humbly, and it will never end, but it will, in fact, endure in unrivaled greatness and glory. The kingdom of heaven is not like any other worldly kingdom I want to be a part of the kingdom that never ends second implication is this the kingdom of heaven will one day be realized throughout all creation you know how it sometimes feel like we're fighting a losing battle it won't always be that way when we speak of the kingdom of heaven we speak of it in terms of already, but not yet. Jesus arrived into the scene of world history, truly God, truly man, and said, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This is true. It's already here, but also not yet fully consummated. We 
wait for Jesus' second coming, where he will come in all power and all glory. There will be no doubt in anyone's mind that Jesus is, in fact, the reigning king of kings, the lord of lords, the ruler over his people and the king's place. It will one day be realized throughout all creation. The king's power, the king's people, the king's place, it will be fully realized. That's why the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 3, verse 20 says, Our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior who will transform this lowly body to be like his. The kingdom of heaven will one day be realized throughout all creation. And the third implication is this. Like the kingdom of heaven, saving faith also starts small. And as I was preparing and praying for this message, um, it was this third implication that really burdened me. I believe many of you, some of you need to hear this today. Like the kingdom of heaven, your faith also starts small. Don't be discouraged by your small amount of faith. In fact, before service, we make it a practice as pastors, prayer team, to pray for you, to pray for the word of God to go forth in all power and goodness. And as we were praying, we were praying specifically for the people that are in here today. You feel like your faith is fragile. You, you feel like one statement, you feel like one Argument against the Christian faith would just make your faith fall apart into shambles. Your faith is fragile, your faith is small, your faith is weak. Christian, I need to tell you that it is not the strength of your faith that saves you. It is the object of your faith, the sure and steady anchor, Jesus Christ, that saves you. It is not your hold on to Christ that saves you. It's Christ's hold of you that saves you. And Jesus said, My sheep are secure in my hand. No one will snatch my sheep from my hand. You are as secure in Christ as God is faithful to you. Great is his faithfulness. Your faith may be small today. Your faith may be weak today. God's not small. God isn't weak. He has you in his hand. Saving faith starts small. But like the mustard seed, like the leaven, it'll grow. Be patient. Be diligent. Let the word of God do its work in your heart today. Would you pray with me? Father, what a truth. We're as secure as you are faithful. The kingdom of heaven started small, but it didn't stay that way. The kingdom of heaven begins small in our hearts, but it doesn't stay that way. God, today we, every single one of us, admit that our faith is frail. Our faith is weak. Our faith is lacking. 
we confess as your church in this moment that you're not frail, you're the almighty God. You're not weak. In fact, it's when we are weak that you are shown to be strong. Now remind us today that your work in our hearts, your work in the world is not always evident, but it's always effective. You're doing the work even when we can't see it, even when we don't understand it. Grow our faith today. And Father, to make all this possible, to inaugurate the kingdom of God, you sent your son, Jesus. He lived a sinless life that we could not live. He, he showed your identity and character to us in human form. Your son Jesus died the death that we should have died because of sin. He satisfied your wrath against our sin on the cross in our place. And he rose again. He is presently ascended, seated at your right hand. Until he returns again. And in that day, your kingdom will be realized in all creation. Seal this truth in our hearts today. Let it be food for our soul. It's in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.